and nobody had ever done a swim of sort of that length and that water temperature before. And just to explain, so we haven't explained this in, you know, in this podcast, you know, I do all my swims in just a speedo cap and goggles, even those ones in, in, in the Arctic and down in Antarctica. Um, but I was, I must say there was a lot of trepidation about whether I could actually swim 528 kilometers. Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast, where your hosts Kelly Palace and Maria Parker share with you what it takes to be a champion. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds Masters World and National Swimming Records, and Maria holds world records in endurance cycling, and was the overall women's winner of the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. They'll be sharing their personal stories and wisdom, along with interviewing other champions to give you the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace. It is a whale song again to remind you that today's show is the conclusion of a two-part interview with the amazing endurance ice water swimmer and United Nations patron of the oceans, Louis Pugh. If you did not hear part one, episode 36, we highly encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episode. And if you did already listen to part one, then please enjoy the second half of the interview from here. So you have a Antarctica, hashtag Antarctica 2020. Yes. Tell us about that. Well, we're trying. So uh, next year is a 200-year anniversary of the discovery of Antarctica. And Antarctica is the most amazing continent. I mean, when you arrive in Antarctica, it's like, it's like arriving in the Garden of Eden. And when you stand on the edge there and you see emperor penguins and king penguins and adelis and all these amazing, amazing animals and whales in the water. It's really, it's a beautiful place, but it's, it's under threat. We're trying to get a series of protected areas around Antarctica. These are like national parks, but in the water. So no drilling for oil, no drilling for gas, no industrial fishing, just allowing nature to recover. Um, we got the first of these big protected areas set aside um, two years ago in the Ross Sea. Now we're trying to get a very big one set aside now uh, in an area called East Antarctica. And so that's, that's, uh, that's what I'm focused on now. And remember I spoke to you about how important it is to have courageous people in your team. Well, the Russian Slava Fetisov, he'll be coming with me down to Antarctica shortly where he will be seconding me during uh, a very tough swim, which I plan to do uh, early next year down in Antarctica. What is your planned swim for that? Uh, we, 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 we're going to keep it quiet, but straight, okay. but straight afterwards we um, we go to Moscow, and we'll be in Moscow on the 200-year anniversary of the discovery of Antarctica. It was discovered actually by a Russian explorer called Admiral Belling, Bellingshausen. And we're going to be urging the Russian government and the Chinese government, who are the two governments who still need to be persuaded that we need to protect East Antarctica. We're going to be urging them now to sign this deal. And if we do that, we'll be creating an area about a million square kilometers fully protected. It's amazing. It's, it's a, a true privilege to be able to do this type of work, to be able to create these very, very big uh, protected areas. So my team over the past couple of years, we've we've set aside or we've been able to create protected areas of about two million square kilometers. So there's no drilling, no drilling for oil, no drilling for gas, no no industrial fishing, just allowing nature to recover. Two million square kilometers. It's about the size of Western Europe. It's we're happy we're happy with it, but we want more. We're greedy. Yeah, I one of the things that I, I am amazed about you is your ability to to balance looking back at your successes and saying, look, this is good, we're moving forward, and also keeping that urgency, you know, that there's so much more to do. Uh, and, I, and also, I think one of the PR things you do really well is after you uh, swam the English Channel, you, you, you went right directly met with the government in the UK, and they were involved the whole time. And so it seemed you were able, because of that nearness of what you did and what, you know, 
and your meeting with them, you were able to make a, a change there. And I suppose this is your goal with the China and Russia. Yes, I mean, the, the English Channel swim is a really good case in point. So what I try to do is I try to find a swim which hopefully will capture the imagination of the public. And it's got to be tough. It's got to be, I mean, it's got to be really, really hard. And so I thought, what could I do in the United Kingdom to try and persuade the UK government to properly protect its waters? I mean, just to put this in perspective, only seven square kilometers of waters around the UK are fully protected. I mean, seven square kilometers. The waters around the UK are 750,000 square kilometers, of which just seven square kilometers is fully protected. And, and I thought, I mean, this is, without stressing the point too much, I mean, it's an outrage. I mean, it really is. Uh, and so let me think about a swim which I could do. And obviously in the United Kingdom, swimming across the English Channel, so swimming from England to France is, is, is an amazing swim. So what I do is I, got, I, got, I put out a map of the United Kingdom and I'm just looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, and just trying to think of an idea of a swim which may work. And that's the thing about creativity. You know, you, you, it doesn't come automatically. You've got to keep looking, keep writing down all the various options, and then suddenly an idea will come. And then you'll, 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 you'll think to yourself, it, it, it's not an aha moment. It's an erdur moment. It's why on earth did I not think about this swim <laughs> years ago? And I was looking at the map and I suddenly thought, hold on. Why don't I swim the full length of the English Channel? So not across it. Hundreds and hundreds of people have swum across it. I want to swim the full length. So I'll start at Land's End and I'll swim all the way to Dover. 528 kilometers and nobody had ever done a swim of sort of that length and that water temperature before and just to explain so we haven't explained this in you know in this podcast you know I do all my swims in just a speedo cap and goggles even those ones in in, in the Arctic and down in Antarctica but I was I must say there was a lot of trepidation about whether I could actually swim 528 kilometers Anyway, I decided I'm going to do this. I, I really want to draw this to the attention of the, of the British government and the British public. And so I, I took a train. I all went down to, to Land's End, which is the beginning of the English Channel. And there I made three promises to myself. I said, number one, we've got to leave our doubt here on the beach at Land's End. Because if we don't, as soon as I get injured, and you know on a, on a long swim like that, you're going to get your nickels. I said, I need to leave my doubts here. Number two, second rule, every single day is going to be a swimming day. I'm going to swim 10 kilometers every day, come hell or high water, I'm going to swim 10 kilometers. And the third promise I made to the team was that if we couldn't take the yacht out because it was so extreme, the following day would be 20 kilometers. Oh my uh, gosh. And that's the way we got to the end. Uh, and so 49 days later, absolutely, absolutely exhausted, I arrived in Dover and on the beach was Michael Gove, who is the Secretary of the State for the Environment. And, and you know, <laughs> I was exhausted, but now you're going to have, it was live on television, I'm going to have a debate with him about, uh, about properly protecting the UK waters. But that was the beginning of it. So I've done the swim, I've done 49 days of swimming. It was another six to nine months of hard negotiations with the British government before, before we really started getting results, before they agreed to further protect some of the British overseas territories. So down near Antarctica, there's an island called South Georgia. They agreed to do a lot more protection down there. Ascension Island in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the big protected area around there. Uh, they agreed to a, announce a climate emergency in the United Kingdom. They agreed that the, the UK would go uh, what we call net zero, so no carbon emissions, net zero by 2050. Big, ambitious steps, but it was only by constantly pushing at them, constantly in the media, calling them, calling them out for lack of lack of action, uh, that we were able to get these things across the line. So, which was harder, the swim or the or the, or the negotiations? They're different. They're different in in, in hardness. I remember with the, with, the, with the negotiations with the Ross Sea, we had, I'd been negotiating for nearly two years. And, and, and just to explain, I'm the United Nations ambassador for the oceans, but, the, but I'm expected to pay the expenses myself. It's a long story why that is the case, but I was running out of money. You know, I was 
it's all out of my own pocket. You know, I'm flying to Moscow. I'm sitting in a hotel waiting to meet Russian officials. Uh, and then I came to a stage where I thought, you know, these negotiations have gone on for 17 years. How, how much longer can we carry on? And I call, called my wife and I said to her, Antoinette, I think, I think we're going to have to call it a day because I'm going to bankrupt the family. She said, I just want you to do another six months. And then it was astonishing. A number of different things happened and within a short period of time, the tide had turned and Russia signed the deal. The point is you never ever know how close you are to achieving a deal. I love that. I, I, so I, Until it's signed. Yeah. The concept which I think I understand more now is the idea of national parks for the oceans. There we go. I, I think that is a beautiful phrase that we have, you know, the United States, we have tons of beautiful parks. We preserve the trees. But I, I so connect with that idea of a national park or a state park or a local park for the oceans. I think that's a great idea. So about 150 years ago, the great big national parks were being created. And they started here in America, you know, with Yellowstone National Park and Yosemite, these really big ones. And it's amazing. I mean, you imagine what North America or any other country would be like today if the people at the time, the pioneers at the time, didn't have the foresight to properly protect these areas. They'd be gone, be gone forever. That's the situation where we find ourselves now in the oceans. About 2% of the ocean is fully protected. And now we're pushing to try to get 30% fully protected. So around the, around the waters around America is doing fairly well. America has fully protected. And when America fully protects, they do a good job. America has fully protected 20% of its waters. Still nowhere near enough. But you look at some of the other countries like China, less than less than one percent mm. japan less than one percent india less than one percent south africa less than one percent around the uk it's a mixed bag so with its overseas uh, it's got lots of islands all over the world from its empire over 30 percent fully protected but in its home waters seven square kilometers so this is a big fight now which which we're having which is getting governments to realize that we're now in a race against time. We now need to create these big protected areas around the world, and it's a privilege to work in this space. Will there be any oceans that you'll swim in that need help that aren't freezing cold? Uh, yes, so we've got one scheduled to start in the middle of 2020, oh. which is beautiful and warm, and I just can't wait to start it. Oh, that is awesome. Awesome. So, Lewis, I'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little, uh, just a little more on a personal level, because obviously you're a winner, you're a champion, and we'd love to know if you have any routines or rituals or things that you do kind of on a daily basis that maybe help you be so successful. I don't really see myself like that because there's, in order to, to achieve these swims there's, there's been a lot of hurdles and I've fallen at many of them. Uh, but, but nonetheless, I like to wake up early in the morning. I like to make my bed first thing in the morning and make it properly because at least I got one job done nicely and I like to come back to a nice made up bed. I try to do my swimming very, very early in the morning before any of the, of the work, you know, the negotiations start during the day. And I try to make every day a swimming day. Every day? So you swim every day? I do my very best. I mean, it's, it's not always possible just because I do an, an awful lot of traveling, but I, I, I try to. I try to. But I certainly spend a, a fair amount of time, probably half an hour every day, focusing on these big dreams which we have to create, you know, to, to set aside 30% of the world's oceans, fully protected by 2030. So I'm constantly dreaming and imagining and, and uh, moving the chess pieces in, in, in my mind about how we can get various governments to agree these deals. Does that come in the form of meditation or journaling or visualization or what, what does that period of time each day look like? It's the easiest part of the day because it's just lying on the bed and it's listening to soft music and it's imagining. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That reminds me, I had a question 
you listen to music, I know at least before you do your cold water swims, is that part of your um, anticipatory thermogenesis, this, the music that you're listening to, you think? I think so, just because these environments are so very, very frightening that you, you just need to somehow try and get yourself ready to be able to get in them. In my earlier days, I often used to listen to very heavy rap and, 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 and you know, aggressive music. Now the older I get, the more I get in quite gently and just swim with a purpose. So I, I enjoy listening to some softer music these days. Yeah. What might that be? What would be an example? Oh, you know, I love soundtracks to various sort of, uh, to movies, anything sort of from Hans Zimmer will get me ready for the day and get me ready for that specific moment. But the most important thing is that you've, you've got to get yourself to a stage where you believe that this is what you are meant to do with your life. Yeah. That, I, I, that part I love. Okay, so purpose. And so helicoptering up, obviously your purpose is to save the oceans. But for anybody else, how, you know, what advice would you give in terms of you know, using your purpose or finding your purpose so that you can be motivated to do these, you know, these great things. If I can give you an analogy, you know, coming from South Africa, let me give you a mining analogy. Uh, some people, when they're looking for gold, they're very, very lucky. They go down to a river and they put a pan in a river and they pan and they suddenly, they find a nugget of gold. It's like that in life. Uh, some people are very, very lucky. They know very, very early on that they wanted to be a doctor. And you ask them when they were a young girl, Maria, what did you want to become? And you say, I want to become a doctor. And you've always known that. And then you meet them 30 years later, and they're a doctor, and they're very, very happy. For the vast majority of us, though, that's simply not the case. We've got to drill deep down into ourselves. And in, in mining analogy, often you have this thin strata of gold deep down. And many people dig, and they dig and they dig, but they never quite get down to that strata of gold. And when you hit that strata, you know it. You know that you found what really is your purpose. And then you just need to mine right the way along that line, keep on going, keep on going. Um, so that's, that, that's what I would encourage so many people. They mine, but they never quite get down to that, that what, what they were meant to do with their, their, their lives. And once you've identified it, and once you've really tapped into it, it becomes a very, very powerful force. But what I do before all these swims is, I, in my mind, I, I, I stack things. Just to explain this, it's, it, it's about self-belief. For some people, your self-belief comes from the, uh, from the inside. You're just so gifted at what you do that you believe in yourself. It's the Muhammad Ali's of the world, right? But the vast majority of us, our self-belief does not come from the inside, okay? In fact, very, very few, even Olympic athletes, very few of them that does their self-belief come from the inside. For, for most of us, it comes from the outside. It's a parent or a teacher or a coach who says to you, you're really good at what you do. And when you hear that, you believe in yourself. For others, it's operating in an elite team. When you join an elite team, you then have to step up to that standard and then when you step up to that stand, you start believing yourself. For, for other people, your self-belief comes from experience in life. I always see this with mountaineers, so, so I enjoy climbing mountains. You know, you climb one mountain, you think I can get to the top, and then you go even higher the next year and even higher the next year, and then you find out that somebody's about to climb Everest, and they say, I can climb Everest because I've got all this experience. But there's a last form of self-belief, which if you tap into it, it takes your performance onto another level altogether. And the sad thing is that very, very few people actually tap into it. And that is what we're talking about, tapping in to your purpose. It's, you know, gr growing up in, in South Africa at the end of apartheid, there were no shortages of role models. I'm talking about people like Nelson Mandela, uh, Desmond Tutu, Molly Blackburn, people who despite everything they were going through, they kept on going and they kept on going because that is what they were meant to do with their lives. So now just before I'm gonna get into very, very cold water, I stack in my mind all these forms of self-belief. So I start with the fact that in terms of self-belief from the inside, I realize I can handle cold better than most people. 
uh, I then go to the outside and I remember that coach of mine, Brian Button, who always believed in me. And when he believed in me, I believe in myself. I've been now operating with this team for many, many years and I get so much courage out of them. I look back at my career of 33 years and I realize I've done some very, very tough swims. And then lastly, I walk to the end of my life and I realize that this is what I was meant to do and I better make it count. And then I dive in. That deserves a, a moment of silence. I, I know. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what to say. That is the most beautifully put thing I have ever heard. Yes, I, I'm, I'm just mesmerized. And this, Lewis seems to be summing up, you know, 35 of our shows that we've done with champions on stacking and self-belief and mental toughness and inner dialogue and mindset and all of these things. It, it's truly... Um, I've got goosebumps and we're not in the cold water. So I, I'm, I think that that I, I don't think we can get any, anything more valuable out of him today on that topic. And so, um, I want you, yes, he's, can, can, can yeah. I just say this? Yes. I love climbing. I love swimming, but the sport, which I really love is kayaking. And I had the privilege a couple of years ago to train with the South African Olympic kayaking team. We were training just before the Beijing Olympics. So I trained with them in Budapest and we'd be kayaking every day up and down um, uh, the Danube River. And it was amazing because uh, I've always been a swimmer, but once I finish the swimming, then I've got to do my work, which is the negotiation. But it was very interesting to be in the world of professional sport because, you know, everyone would wake up early and then now we'd have the first training session and, and we would hammer ourselves up and down the, the Danube, you know, doing really fast intervals. And then, and then we'd come back and then uh, everybody would shower and then everybody would have breakfast and, and, and then it was amazing. So people would just get onto the, onto the social media and now they're, they're, they're texting their friends and they're listening to some music. and. And then they have a little bit of a sleep, and now suddenly it's the afternoon, and uh, now we've got the second session, and then, and then maybe there's some physio, and then maybe there's an evening dinner, and then they go straight to bed, right? And I just, I looked at this and I thought, wow, you're doing this day after day after day? But what about really focusing on, on the self-examination of yourself and your mind, and really realizing that you have this one opportunity to really deliver and stacking all this self-belief and so that when you get into the water you absolutely believe in yourself you absolutely believe in yourself um, yeah so I think the world of professional sport but a lot of time is spent on on the physical aspects but actually drilling down deep into your soul not enough time is spent on that couldn't agree with you more. That is something, that's one of the reasons we started the podcast is to get into the minds of champions yeah. and the, the mojo, you know, the, the, it's, it's a term, I don't know if you know it, but it's the special little secret sauce. Well, and, and I, what I'm hearing you say, Lewis, is that, you know, we're given gifts and we can use those gifts for a purpose other than just competing and winning. You know, we can, you know, and you have laser focused your gifts on saving the world's oceans and I, I think that's a call out to every one of us who has a gift to you know what are we doing with our gifts I, I'm, I'm incredibly motivated by what you've said yes and you know, inspired to, to have a gift and then not to use it is, is is such a waste but this is one of the great equalities in life and you remember at school those people who were so talented and then they, they really didn't go on to do much and those with less talent did a lot. It's one of the greater qualities in life. Those with the most amount of talent often have the least amount of ambition and those with less, less talent often have bundles of uh, determination and, uh, and ambition and those two things put together become a very, very powerful force. And you can develop both. I think you can develop both, yeah. We have this concept in, um, in South Africa called fuss bait. 
And it comes from the Dutch word meaning fuss, meaning tight, and bait, meaning bite. Bite hard. I want you to imagine a lioness running along the felt in Africa, and she's running after a big buffalo. And she grabs that buffalo on the top of the neck and then swings down underneath. And she's holding on while this buffalo is still charging along. And she's holding on and she's being dragged along the felt. And she holds on because that is what she was meant to do. Because if she doesn't hold on, the whole pride is in danger. And sometimes in life, you need that fuss bait. Yeah, it doesn't have to be there every single day, but there are going to be moments when you just have to deep, you know, dig deep and hold on tight. So fuss bait is grit, it's resilience, it's never die, it's just keep on going. And I think what I'm seeing, especially now with younger people, that they're looking for instant success. But it doesn't come like that. I spoke about Shuhari. It's taken me 30 years to, to get to this position. Success doesn't come instantly. It comes through phosphate. It comes through years and years of grind. And then it looks like it's overnight success because suddenly people hear about it. But they don't see what's, what's happened behind the scenes. Fantastic. Well, Lewis, I know you, you've got a speech to give tonight. And we want to give you uh, the opportunity as your last question to say, what, what can our listeners do to help preserve the oceans? Oh, you know, we rely on our oceans totally to survive. And there are three big things now impacting our oceans. It's, it's climate change, it's overfishing, and it's plastic pollution. I'm seeing plastic pollution over every beach in the world. Even down in Antarctica and the Arctic is devastating. But if there's one thing which really is, of those three, which is so significant, it's, it's the impact of climate change. It's, it's really devastating our oceans. I, w I would just say, please, please uh, do every single thing that you can to, to live a, a lifestyle which protects the environment and which is a low carbon uh, lifestyle. Uh, because you know, we have a duty to, to protect this magnificent place for our children and our grandchildren. And if people do that, then we have a future. If, if, we, if we don't do that, then we're on a, on a serious trajectory right now. I love it. I love it. And on, uh, yeah, on lewispew.com, there's, there's like also 20 things that people can do. There's a place to donate. There's a lot of resources that if people want to really become serious about this, and we should all of us as swimmers need to protect the oceans, and then they can go to your website. Is there anything that uh, we haven't asked you or covered that you want listeners to hear or know? Well, I think that as swimmers, as kayakers, as windsurfers, as dog walkers, as, as people who want to walk along the beach, we all have a special responsibility to be good custodians of the oceans. And uh, we think of swimming in pools as, as environmentally friendly, perhaps, but swimming pools has a very, very big impact on the environment. Obviously, with the amount of water we use, all the chemicals that they used, et cetera, et cetera. We have a very special responsibility as swimmers, as a community, to be right at the forefront of protecting the environment and encouraging others to do it and examining ourselves as a sport and seeing what we can do to, to really be leaders in, in this movement. So that, that, that would be my last wish. I love it. Now, so this is something we do on all of our guest interviews. And I just, we have to dig a little deeper on you personally. And this is called the speed round of questions. Oh, and gosh. it's just a little fun thing so we can get yeah, to know you little, better. Yeah, lighthearted way to end this. Lighthearted way to end this. I say one or, one or two choices, and you just give me one choice. Mm. Cat or dog? Oh, dog any day. Camping or hotel? Oh, camping any day. <laughs> Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Oh, these are, these are the easiest questions I've had. <laughs> milk, milk chocolate. Milk chocolate. Okay. Now, this one may not even apply to you, but our swimmers are going to want to know it. Kickboard or no kickboard? Oh, no. I think a good uh, a kickboard really helps with training. Okay, kickboard. Yeah, yeah unexpected there. Mountains or beach? 
Now that's a tough one. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I tell you the reason why because uh, people often say, "Oh, I'd love to go to the beach because it's so peaceful and so so calming." But beaches are very really like that. There's noise, etc. But when one goes right up into the mountains, so especially I've, I've d done some climbing high up in the Himalayas and been on on Everest. And, and when one's up on Everest and one looks down into the valleys and through the past glaciers, it's very, very peaceful. And it, there you'll find a window into your soul if you spend the time there. So I, I, I'm going to take both. I love I'm gonna, it. I'm going to take That's beaches and, and mountains there. Okay, now your football is going to be soccer. Yes. But so and cricket football, instead of baseball. European football or American football? The, that's an easy one, European. Okay. <laughs> iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Um, yeah, probably tea. Tea? I'm, I'm British. And you've already answered morning person or a night owl? Uh, definitely a morning person. Texting or talking? And no, definitely talking. Okay. Maria, do you have the last 10 there? or? Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the last 10. Um, okay. But I have to say, I'm impressed for a morning person. It's got to be very late. <laughs> and you're on your body clock. You're doing really yeah. well. Okay, yes. so here's, here's mine. Last good book you read or listened to. Um, I'm reading a ridiculous law book at the moment. So uh, it, it's on the law of the sea. So <laughs> That sounds awful. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're a, you're a maritime lawyer, right? Yes, I'm a maritime lawyer. So it was a maritime law book. Maritime law book. Okay. It doesn't sound fascinating, but, it, yeah. but it really, it's a great yeah. book. Last good movie. I loved, I watched uh, the one about Elton John, about his life called mm. Rocket Man recently. Oh, and, yeah, nice. And what, and what Sir Elton John has been through in his life. Uh, has been quite a, a, a astonishing and he's a pioneer I love all pioneers I love people who are prepared to push boundaries and and go for things and and so it's a it's a beautiful movie love Elton John yeah. love him favorite food uh, Mexican no wait I have to ask you on food Maria and I is one of our favorite dishes which we actually talk about on the podcast I swear I saw you eating this in one of your videos a bowl of yogurt with macadamia nuts in it did you have that? I think it had I fruit in it. No, there was fruit in there, but I swear. Where, where, where was this? It was you in preparation for your long swim, and you're, they were you're gaining you. weight. You're gaining weight. Yeah, that was the point. But I, I swear, you dumped in a like we love yogurt with macadamia nuts and fruit, and yeah. it yeah. looked like that's exactly what you were eating. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, Lewis is eating our favorite <laughs> dish. Okay, favorite place to swim. That's probably a tough one. Yeah, I think if. I've just been swimming in the Maldives. So the Maldives are a group of islands right in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Uh, when you dive in there, it's uh, like diving onto the set of Nemo. Underneath you are oh. all these beautiful tropical fish, coral, beautiful colors, small sharks, manta rays, and uh, turtles. Uh, so if I had one last day left on this earth, and it's a oh, warm water temperature, right? And it's warm water. <laughs> and there's no such... So people say, oh, that must be too warm for you. When you've swum in the water I've swum in, there's no such thing as too warm. So that's probably where it would be, the Maldives. Hmm, that's nice. I, this last question I want to ask is, I don't even... Based on what you've said, I wonder if you even do it. But how do you relax? Do you relax? I struggle. And the reason why I struggle is because I'm constantly thinking, constantly pushing... Um, and, and sometimes um, you only achieve things when you get into that angst and you can't get out of it. And you've got to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and eventually the solution will arrive. And recently I found myself you know, constantly in that. Uh, I, I've got four dogs. I love to go walking in the afternoons with them on the beach in, in, in Cape Town. But uh, relaxing is a thing which I, I need to work at. <laughs> What kind of dogs? Oh, I've got everything. So I've got a Jack Russell, who's the boss. I've got a Rhodesian Ridgeback, who's gorgeous. I've got a, a, a Husky Cross uh, something, and then I've got a Sheepdog Cross something. Uh, oh, all that's of them great. Are, all of them are, are, are special. Are any of them swimmers? Uh, the Jack Russell is. He loves to get in the water. Yeah, yeah. She's, a, she's a little swimmer. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Well... 
Those are all the questions that we have. It looks like uh, you did great on the tough ones and great on the little fun, easy ones. <laughs> yeah, this we, has been yeah. so inspiring. I, I, I've got a, three pages of notes. I'm, thank you so much for taking the time yes, to inspire our, yes. our listeners, Lois. Been wonderful. Ladies, thank you both very, very much. It's been an honor to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you, and best of luck in saving our oceans and with all your swims. We'll be uh, watching we'll be, yeah, and we'll cheering be following for you. along and, and supporting in any way we can. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, Maria, what did you uh, – there was so much in the second half. What, what, we actually did a draft pick on what we were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. And, there was, and there was plenty that we didn't get to. Everybody should listen to every word. But I, I, uh, I think what impressed me – hugely was actually listening to him talk about the successes that they've had. He's, as you, as you clearly reiterated when you asked him, his whole goal is to set aside as much of the ocean as he can as a national park. And that means no drilling, no, uh, no fish, no commercial fishing, just to protect these, these oceans. And he's already, been able to create parks that he says they've already saved two million square kilometers, which is the size of Western Europe. So this Amazing. this man and his team have already done, and they're working on much much greater numbers now. If they're able to succeed in Antarctica, they will have have done well. I guess more than double that. So I think that's that really impresses me that that they've been able to be so successful. And what is also very encouraging is toward, as he's discussing this, he's saying he doesn't get paid for his work as a UN ambassador for the oceans. He has to fly himself everywhere. He's, 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 he's going everywhere. And he, at one point he calls his wife and he says, it's been 17 years. This negotiation has been going on for 17 years. I am 17 years. I am bankrupting our family. And I just, I think I might have to throw in the towel. And his wife, Antoinette, says, give it six more months. And so he does. And in that six months, they make incredible progress. So his, his point there is he was ready to quit. And in that six months, he was able to su su succeed. And you never know when things are going to turn around. And I thought that was so encouraging. One of the things that I work on is brain cancer research and I can be very discouraged and be tempted to quit frequently. And that was just sort of a little niggle for me that I may be just, we may be just six months out of some, some big thing. We have to just keep on, keep on going. So I love yeah. that Maria, you, you have to give your quote that you've, you and I have shared uh, millions of times. You just have to say it. Well, <laughs> It's, 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 uh, it's, it was, I think this quote was created by, by some marketing firm in New York, but, uh, Jim and I often share it or talk about it with each other. And Kelly's heard it before. The quote is the horizon is littered with the bleached bones of those who with victory and sight stopped to rest. <laughs> so when you're, yes, when, <laughs> when you're trying really hard and you think, oh, I'm almost there or, oh, I'll never get there. That's that's the time to try to push through and just see if you can't get to the other side. Yes, that is it's beautiful, it really is. And Kelly, I know you had lots of good stuff. Oh there. gosh, I had so much. You know, one of my favorite things to ask these incredible heroes that we interview are their their routines, their their things that they do, routines and rituals that make them successful. And I loved, there were many, but you know, the, the basic one, which we've actually talked about on the show, you and I are bed makers. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I met my husband and I found out he made his bed neatly every morning, like, I that's just it. fell in love that's with him. It. And that's it. He's the man. So Lewis makes his bed. He gets his exercise done early in the morning. That's usually hopefully a swim. He swims every day if he can. But the main one that stuck out to me, which I think is is huge, and that's you know our original tagline on this uh, Champions Mojo was mindset, motivation, and more. And he says that he's constantly dreaming and imagining, and that he's very, very you know he sees things. He's putting the chess pieces in place. So I think that's you know visualization is huge. He also alluded to 
you know, how so many athletes spend so much time working out physically, but they don't spend enough time mentally. So I, as a, you know, person that started this podcast for mindset, I, I just loved that he takes the time he puts on nice music and he says he gets, you know, lays down in a comfortable place and he visualizes all this. So that was, that was my, my first takeaway from the, this second half of his interview. Yeah. I really loved that too. I, I loved that he, when he was talking about swimming the length of the English Channel, he didn't know he was going to do that. He was trying to think of some swim that he could do that would inspire the U.K. government to change their attitudes towards their waterways and oceans. And so he put a map of the U.K. up on his wall, and he would think about it. He would just dream of it. He would visualize it. He kept niggling and working away at it until he came up with the concept of a swim of the, the whole length of the English channel. So I, I agree with you. I love, and when we asked him, you know, do you relax? And he said, well, I spend a lot of time thinking about you know, negotiations or what I'm going to do next. And so that's, that was mm -hmm. his relaxation. So you're absolutely right. I think one of the reasons that he is so successful is that he has a pinpoint purpose. He's driven to, to succeed. So I, I think that's great. And, and one of my, well, speaking of purpose, I guess, I was just so overwhelmed, I guess, delighted with his concept of finding your purpose. So we've talked about this in the first half. One of the reasons that Lewis is successful is because he knows what he's doing. He has a really important and crystal clear purpose. And he said, and we can think again that, oh, he's just this unusual guy. He's, you know, he's special. But what he said, which I thought was really revealing, was some people, he said, are lucky. They're, he used the mining analogy. They go down to the river, they have a pan, they pan for gold, and they find a nugget right away. He said, those are the people who, who when they're very young, they know their purpose. Whatever it is, they know what they're going to do. And then you find later on that they... They are doing what they're supposed to be doing, and they're very happy. They're musicians or doctors or lawyers. But he said, most of us, it's not like that. We have to drill down to find the vein of gold. And he said, for most of us, we don't actually drill long enough or deep enough, but it's there. And I, I absolutely loved that idea. And sometimes we may not find our purpose until we're older, but we have to keep drilling. And he said, once you find that little vein of gold, you just have to fo follow it. <laughs> and I, 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 I think that's something that everyone out there who may feel that they don't have a real purpose or don't know what their purpose is, that that they can just keep drilling and eventually they can find their purpose. And sometimes people don't find it until they're much older and that's okay, but don't give up. And that purpose will help you succeed. And later when he's talking about the, the, the South African Olympic kayak team, he talks about again, how much time they spend on physical training, but that he perhaps they're not spending enough time drilling down to find their why or their purpose. So I was just love that idea and talked about it a dozen times since I've heard him say it. Yes, I, I, I was definitely moved by that as well. And, and as someone that, you know, I feel like I've kind of been in and out of my purpose throughout my life. And I feel like that finding, I know this is going to sound funny, but finding this podcast and, and doing podcasting, I feel like, you know, I've come to this later in life, but it, I feel like it's really my purpose. And I had to wait until, you know, I was over 50 to find it as for something, you know, people ask me, you know, well, what's most exciting to you these days? And I'm like, this podcast, I just can't believe that, it, you know, I'm finally doing what I love to do. And well, it's, that's exactly right. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had glimmers of it. I, you know, I did some journalism when I was younger and I, you know, did some swimming coaching, obviously a lot. And so it's kind of like, I think we put together experiences throughout our lives that may not seem like the purpose, but it may be leading you to the purpose. And I think that's what the, the drilling deeper is like you, you look, you finally find your purpose and it may be the combination of three things that you've had experience in. And then it all comes together like 
in one and then then it's la you find yeah. your purpose. So. I think I think to take that analogy a little further Kelly and I've watched you do this. You drill down and maybe that's not working for you. Then you drill down in another place and <laughs> and then another place. Yes. And and I agree you all of the things that you've done I've watched you for the last 35 years have have brought you to this all of your gifts all of your talent your coaching your athleticism just your natural bent towards love and encouragement have brought and now we have the technology and and now you're here doing what i believe you are meant to do as well thanks maria yeah yeah and i was gonna say and maybe someone's purpose isn't even invented yet because you know 10 years ago we didn't have podcasting so just hang in there and keep drilling i love it right right love it so you and i both we had to fight over who got to cover stacking right because (laughs) we love stacking and you know the the summary on this which is just our takeaway was the very few of us and lewis even says you know even olympic olympians don't have that huge inner confidence you know that like oh i'm the i'm the greatest since sliced bread maybe muhammad ali and maybe lily king <laughs> but um the, <laughs> there are a few of them out there there are a few of them that have that just intrinsic internal confidence but that he when he he, and I love that he ended how his confidence, he says, and then I dive in. And so pri- <laughs> That's great. Like, the way he says it. So prior to his diving in to what we've called the death zone and the dark water and the, the squeezing cold water, he stacks his confidence. And that it comes from the confidence that others give him, you know, like coaches that tell him that he's done the work and that he's talented and that he's got the stroke and that he's got the preparation. So we get our confidence from others. We can stack that confidence. And hopefully we all have somebody that's cheering for us in the corner that when one is part of an elite team, that they get confidence from that. And I so see that in, in so many teams, you know, I've recently worked with a very elite uh, swimming team, the NC state women's swimming team, and that they, they feed off of each other, and that, uh, you know, even goes back to his courage is contagious. That's right. Um, confidence is contagious. That's right. So, so being part of an elite team, so assemble your team out there. And, you know, like even this podcast, which is my, you know, my cold water swims, uh, we have a great team. You know, we, we have Katie, and we have Brant, and we have you, and we have... Uh, you know, our, our pro swimmers that promote our podcast. So we have a team that, um, and then our, our spouses promote it. I I think you said, Jim, Jim stood up at a meeting and promotes it. Mark's telling everybody. So we have a team that believes in us. So you get that from your team and then one's experiences you have to, and you and I call this the pile. Yes. You know, you've got this tons of stuff that you've done. Like, you know, I defy anybody to get on here and talk about something in competitive swimming that I don't know about because, you know, I have, I've been in the swimming community for, you know, 50 years and, and followed it closely. So my experience in swimming helps me talk about swimming and, and your successes, you've had so many successes, not just in swimming, but in, in, and other things that you've done in your life experience in journalism and all those things. So, so what experiences to do you guys have out there that you can kind of make a list of. And so those stacking that Lewis does before, and then I do. he dives in. I love that. I love yeah. That. It's just like, that was, that was, that was absolute gold for both of us. So Maria, what, 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 why did you, why did that one just, just really just hit you? Because he is doing something that's really terrifying and he, what is he doing right before he does it is he's thinking of all the w- reasons why he is going to be successful. His purpose is all the things that people have told him, his past successes is it's just, it's just so great. How often do we stand in front of something that's scary and we rehearse our failures or we rehearse the reasons why we don't, we are not going to succeed. This is the stacking is beautiful. And it, and it, it applies to anything you do that's scary or that seems big or overwhelming. You, you build your own personal stack and you just keep on stacking. I just, I absolutely adore that concept. Yeah. So it's, it's like a really a mental, just a, solid steel trap of a mind that when, when you, when you pad that your mind with those things, 
then nothing is going to, you know, you're not going to break down in the middle of a swim and say, I got to get out or I'm freezing or I got to quit or, you know, so right. um, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So, um, so we could have gone on. We each did a couple for each of those. Um, the whole purpose that we would, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about, you know, why Lewis does all these things and inspires all of us. And we're, we just get the benefit besides the fact that he's saving the oceans. Um, you know, he inspires people to reach out of their comfort zone and find their purpose and do their own thing. So why and how we need to protect our oceans, you know, as he said, very simply, we need our oceans to survive. Yeah. And how can we all do this? He says, reduce our carbon footprint. So, um, those, you know, that one that he said very simply, I think he was being, you know, rather humble and, and um, didn't maybe want to oversell. But there are there are 20 steps on his website to helping save and preserve and protect our oceans at lewispew.com. There's also a place for everyone to donate. I know you and I are making a donation yes. to the Lewis Pew Foundation. And, um, you know, we encourage people if they are moved by this and they want to help Lewis continue his great work that they should go to his website. Yes, absolutely. Make a donation. And if this guy can jump into the cold, dark waters of the Arctic and the Antarctic, we can stand beside him and stop using as much plastic and start reducing our carbon footprint. It was very, I've, I've changed the way I've behaved just having had that one conversation with him. So I hope everybody will. Yes, yes. Well, another one, Maria, yes. in the books. A great one. And uh, very, a great one. And we got, we've got great, more great guests coming up. So we hope you guys will keep listening. And you can find us at championsmojo.com. And reach out if you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. All right. Love you, Maria. Love you, Kelly. Bye. Bye-bye. This week's quote of the week comes from Lewis Pugh. In finding your purpose, it's like mining. When you hit that strata, you know it. You know that you've found what really is your purpose, and then you just need to mine right the way along that line. Most people never dig deep enough or long enough. We are so grateful that you spent this time with us today, and we hope that you heard something that inspired, motivated, and educated you. Signing off for myself and my champion co-host, Maria Parker, we hope you'll join us again soon, and we know you can be a champion. Thank you for listening, and please see below for a copy of the show notes, for any links or important information that we've referenced here. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also, visit championsmojo.com to learn more.